Hi, good morning. This is Topher Delaney, and you are listening to Garden. This is a program that is focused on the earth as a garden. So it's your home, your street, your state, your country, the countries, the globe. And that is the title of this broadcast. And the guests that we have are all folks who have thought long and hard about this and have lived this practice in their own particular ways. And our first guest is Nancy Petrowski, and she I met through the Vallejo Garden Club. She is the president of the Vallejo Garden Club, and she is absolutely stunning. And here is Nancy Petrowski. Hi, Topher. How are you today? I am well, and we're here to discuss garden. And my first question to you, Nancy, is what is the difference between a public garden and a private garden, or is there a difference Mm. for you? When I think about a private garden, I think about my garden. Mm -hmm. I think about what I want in it, what purpose I have the garden for, who I expect to be in there, and you know what I want to have happen in that place. I see the garden as for my enjoyment, but also I see it as a sense, a place of purpose, that there are certain things I want to be happening in there. And that's really very much around what I want or what I want to show other people. Uh, if I, For instance, if I'm talking about my front yard. But I think I do make a distinction between a public garden and private garden, because I think with public gardens, it's not just about what I want, but what about many people want, all the different stakeholders who might come through there. And I think the other thing is that with public gardens, they're probably going to have a much longer legacy than my private garden. I, I will be one owner in a house, and if I'm lucky, maybe people will keep all the things that I've put in there, but that doesn't always happen with property. Sometimes you can plant a beautiful garden, and then somebody comes in and wants grass, and and then the beautiful garden goes away. With a public garden, I think there's sometimes better opportunities for preservation over many generations, and that can also allow for many, many different types of ideas to come in. I know with one of the gardens I've worked on locally, there are people who've been having a hand in it for over 40 years, and I just think that's fantastic. With and what garden might that? Well, there's a rose garden uh, here in town um, that's a memorial garden. It's all roses. It's near the freeway, and that one has many, many different organizations and volunteers who help maintain the roses. And then another one I've worked on is Vallejo uh, Architectural Heritage Foundation has a rose garden. And I remember how fun it was when I met the people who planted the original roses, you know, many, many years ago. And that was extra special. And it just brought home this idea that, you know, when you plant something, you know, you never know how long it's going to be there. But with a public garden, it could be there for quite some time. Um, that That's an interesting distinction. I think we're talking about legacy mm-hmm. here. So personal legacies and public legacies. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the belief of a gardener. Mm-hmm. And, and the belief I want to talk about is, Nancy, when you plant a plant in a private garden, such as your own, is there the belief that this plant will be forever? Because you've touched on something very interesting about public gardens, that there is a belief that it'll be there forever. Mm-hmm. But do we believe that about our own gardens? Yeah, I think I think it varies. I mean, I know uh, it, it, this is a funny thing. Um, I've had my house for over a decade, and when I planted the trees, I was very conscious about what I put in, and I thought wow, I hope someday when I have to sell this house, people don't cut these things down, the trees mm-hmm. down, that mm-hmm. I'm really attached to them, that I mm-hmm. I don't want to see anything bad happen to them. But, you know, when you sell a piece of property, you you don't always have that control unless you interview people and select your buyers, you know, with right. with something like that in mind. But I think in a in a in a public landscape, in a park, 
uh, in a public garden like Mahoney Park where the roses are, I think people do. They expect those plants to live out a full life. Mm-hmm. And um, and the hope is that there's going to be enough volunteers and hands to come take care of them, you know, for that full full life. I don't know that in a in a private garden again because things can change hands. Sometimes people may not feel that way, but I know I want to feel that way with what's there. I hope I would create a space that people love so much they wouldn't want to change it. But sometimes I think also private gardens can, especially if you're you like a lot of different things and variety. Mm-hmm. Um, not everybody has the patience for that. So, mm-hmm. uh, or knowledge. I mean, yeah. part of the selection process in a in a multi phased garden is it not knowledge? Yeah, it's knowledge. But but I, you know, the other thing I would say though too is having had the best of intentions to put a plant in to live its full life as long as it possibly could mm-hmm. live. Um, like every gardener, you know, things happen sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so not every plant uh, is going to make it. I, I do, though. I have plants, though, that are probably 50 years old um, that I've had for a long time or that were given to me that probably are living way longer than anybody expected. Um, Why is that, do you think? I propagate. I propagate off of them, oh, you do. and I give them to people, and um, and then I just take care of them, and I just keep treating them like they're going to keep going until they don't. So with my own yard, I always like to try to keep things as long as possible, unless I've made a mistake if I put something in the wrong spot, and then I'll try to move it to a better spot, but it may, you know, may or may not make it sometimes. Do you do um, your own gardening? I do. Yeah. I do. I feel I I would I would love to let someone else come in and do the work, but I like the work. It's very relaxing and I find that gardening is something that gives me the experience of being able to stretch time. Interesting. Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, so if I go out to the garden and I say I'm going to work for an hour, and I might set a timer. Sometimes that hour can feel like three or four because mm-hmm. it's, and it's not three or four grueling work hours, but three or four relaxing work hours. Mm-hmm. Ka- kayaking can be the same for me. If I take an hour, an hour and a half in a kayak, I feel like I've been on a week's vacation. So I find that time in the garden is elastic. It, you can stretch it. it. It feels like it can be much more relaxing than just a simple hour. Like if you were to be watching TV or... What relaxes you? Mm. Uh, having so many different senses uh, come to life, you know, uh-huh. the smells, there's so many different colors, the shades of things, um, you're feeling the ground in your fingers, there's creatures in the ground, occasionally there's fun from my dog, uh, one of my dogs or my cat coming up to watch and partake, mm-hmm. uh, birds flying in and out, so there's lo- there's lots of things happening, um, and then seeing whatever's changed, you know, if you're in your garden every day, you see what changes. If you go out, you know, if you're going into the garden once a month, you might not notice as much, right. but even when you're there every day, keeping an eye on things, you see things. A friend of mine, as an example, who um, has a, a vineyard, he treats that vineyard like his children. Yeah. <laughs> He'll go out with a magnifying glass, you know, and be looking, you know, uh-huh. for any little changes. OCD. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and I don't, I don't have a vineyard or anything like that. But, but part of it is pay, just paying attention. They're, they're you living know, beings. I've, you know, I've actually been to your home, mm. and and I would call your home the thicket. Yes. And as I drove up to your home in a very well-manicured, lovely neighborhood in Vallejo, California, with lovely homes, everyone had a lawn, everyone had, everything was under control, Mm. with one exception, your garden. Mm -hmm. And it was under control, but it was a thicket, Mm -hmm. and... It was so voluminous and colorful, mm-hmm. and, and there were so many different animals there. Mm-hmm. And I was astonished at, and, and delighted to see all the various textures. And this was the garden of a very sophisticated person. I realized that mm-hmm. as I walked up along your path. It wasn't a particularly large garden, but it had a large vision, mm-hmm. and I was astonished. The birds, the bees, the do, do you get a lot of different types of birds? Oh yeah, 
Yeah. And again, I planted my, my yard in two ways. My front yard and my backyard have slightly different purposes. Mm-hmm. So my front yard was planted for pollinators, which you know can include birds, bees, butterflies, other insects. Mm-hmm. The front yard is all planted for pollinators. The backyard is planted for food, food crops and, and some pollinators. But I really wanted to kind of have a nice big area to invite in animals and so on so that they would come and then they'd also come into my backyard and help my, my food garden and my other crops back there. Part of my garden is dedicated. I have some chickens in my yard and I also grow greens and things for my chickens to eat. So the backyard is really the, a, a working garden. The front yard is working, but in a different way. It's for the pollinators. And with the thicket, it literally is a thicket. I planted it so that it would attract and be a home for birds, bees, and butterflies. In addition to the garden club, I do work with Audubon, California, and the Napa Solano Audubon Society. And one of our big pushes there is to encourage people, especially in Northern California and California as a whole, to plant for birds, um, to, to plant for these other creatures like monarchs and uh, bees. All of these creatures are facing threats. And especially as climate change happens, our growing regions are moving north, you know, because it's getting too hot. And so planting for birds and these other creatures is really, really important. So I like to think of my thicket in the front yard as a little oasis where they know they can fly in, uh, get some rest. And uh, so as an example, I know I've seen at least six or seven different types of butterflies. I have praying mantises. I have probably about depending on the year, 60 to 80 different types of bees and you know, the changes mm-hmm. during, during the time of the year. And then lots of different kind of birds, again, that shift in different times of the year. But like right now, I have about 14 pairs of hummingbirds oh, really? nesting in the yard. Are those the Anna hummingbirds? Yes, yeah. yeah. And, um, and occasionally, I get some that people tell me shouldn't be there, but I, they're the, the other, there's other kinds of hummingbirds that can right. come through. Lots of swallows, uh, just you know, lots of different birds. You know, a question that that many folks are probably wondering about who are listening to this is, what might be a plant for birds that's pretty accessible to purchase at a garden center mm. and doesn't require going to the outreaches of Canada to get? Uh-huh. We, you know, um, and this may be counterintuitive. <laughs> But one of the fav- my favorite things to recommend for people to plant um, for birds uh, and other creatures and themselves are blackberries. Mo- most people, when they come into a piece of property, the first thing they do is rip out all the blackberries. <laughs> and um, The spines. They the, don't like the, the spines. Yeah, they don't want stickers. But you can, you know, yes, they spread, but you can control them, and they're very good food. For, for birds. I like blackberries, and I also like to encourage people to think about fruit trees. Fruit trees take a little bit more maintenance on the front end to get it established and make sure the hole is dug properly mm-hmm. and um, that it's going to be a good place for that tree. But the other thing is, once you get a fruit tree in, it's it's the you know it's a it's an investment for your lifetime in that property, and it also has the capacity to feed animals in the area as well as the you know pollinators, not just you know furry animals or feathered animals, but also pollinators. Where so, do you buy the fruit trees? Well, uh, our local garden centers are places that I go. I love Mid City Nursery. John, who is one of the gardeners there who runs the place, he's been there a long time and he knows every microclimate in the area. And if you're trying to make a choice between, you know, two varieties of something, he's really good with helping you figure out what, what might do better where you are. I also love uh, Morning Sun Herb Farm, which is out closer towards Vacaville. They have amazing plants and herbs oh. and spices. And and then also Annie's Annuals, uh, mm-hmm. which everybody knows about Annie's Annuals. But, but in Richmond, adi- California. In Richmond, yeah. Awesome place. However, what I will also tell you is that we have... We have a lot of gardeners. You know, this is we're 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 in like Disneyland for gardeners when you call Northern California, you know, because mm-hmm. we have such a long growing season. And so we have a lot of master gardener groups in the area. Mm-hmm. There are also a lot of garden clubs. There's also Native Plant Society. And Can I just ask you, what is a master gardener? I've yeah. heard this term 
And I think we all wonder, what is that someone who carries, you know, a trowel and has some dirty gloves out out of use? Yeah, they they probably do. And their trunk and shovels and everything else. Yeah, they probably do. And clipper, wonderful clippers. Yeah. Yeah. So master gardeners are people who have gone through extra training, usually through like here in California, through a state extension program where they go through a systematic training program to be able to help people in the public who want to do certain things with gardening or help them find resources. So they learn about all different manner of what you might need to plant a garden, maintain a garden, pick out plants, deal with problems in a Mm -hmm. garden. And then they are set up after their training to do volunteer work and consultation. And again, it's usually free. Mm -hmm. So uh, we uh, get together, have master gardeners come to the garden club sometimes to give talks. And they will also do continued trainings that the public are invited to. So it's really an ongoing educational resource for people who are interested in gardening. And um, they sound like public garden servants. Exactly. Yeah. 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 They're they're also uh, PGS. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, there you know there are other master programs too. Like there is even master food preservers and things like oh, that. Really? Same same kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. But what's great about the master gardeners is that they also and this is kind of a secret among gardeners. Maybe not such a secret, but when you're good at growing plants, you get a lot of plants. <laughs> Yes. And so part of what you want to do is spread the wealth. So, and you're also trying to... Let me let me just, if I may, stop yeah. you there, because that is a very interesting comment you just made. Mm. Spread the wealth. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like there is a belief among gardeners that it is a community. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's not... It's a type of activity that encourages sharing. Mm-hmm. Would that be right? Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah. yeah, I think, I mean, I think there are certainly people who like to garden and not be around anybody else, but gardening is really fun when you can be with other people and swap flowers, swap mm-hmm. cuttings. Mm-hmm. You know, there wasn't always gigantic supermarkets around where you could buy everything you want. And it used to be in communities, right, where somebody was really good at growing cherries or mm-hmm. apples or, mm-hmm. you know, greens and people would share. And so yeah. in our gardening uh, communities, I think people will still do that. You know, people get a bumper crop of something and they want to share. They don't want it to go to waste. Does the Vallejo Garden Club, do they have like a plant swap uh, or something like this that people can participate in? Yeah. So there are a lot of garden clubs, uh, and that was partly too, like we buy plants, like I buy plants from places, but also Native Plant Society, Master Gardeners, different garden clubs will have events where they may either give plants away for a swap, you know, Mm -hmm. bring one, get one, Mm -hmm. um, or bring one, get six, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, depending on what's there. Um, Or they might sell them for not too much money. So like one of the things we've done with Vallejo Garden Club over the last 10 plus years is we typically have had a booth or a location at the Vallejo Garden Tour, and we would sell plants at a low cost. People would bring in a lot of stuff and then we would sell them for a mm-hmm. dollar or two mm-hmm. and then we would take that money. And so part of what we did with the money is we invested in scholarships for book budgets for master gardeners because, oh, nice. you know, sometimes there can be a hurdle for some folks. The book budget might be $100, $125 and it can be a hurdle. So we wanted to make sure to take that hurdle out of the way. So we do a little fundraiser with plants to put money in a kitty to support that. So that's another way we try to give back. Sounds very generous. I mean, there's there's this constant movement of growing and giving and growing and giving mm-hmm. and gro- giving and growing and it's sort of back and forth. And yeah. it's a dynamic relationship. It seems to foster uh, friendships or, mm-hmm. you know, betterment of a community. Sure. Right now, too, you know, with COVID and prices going Mm -hmm. up, there's a lot of sharing going on, you know, uh, people saying, hey, I've got extra this. Do you need any of that? And part of it is also helping people who maybe they're on a tight budget, you know, Mm -hmm. so that that's another element, you know, Mm -hmm. to it. 
And that's, again, back to why I encourage people to grow tree, fruit trees or trees are just such a great investment mm-hmm. uh, because they're, once you get them established, it's, they're going to be giving for 30, 40 years, and that can really add something to a community. I know in my front yard, I have several trees, and I have, I'm always getting people showing up going, can I have some apples? <laughs> you know. What do you have in the front? What fruit trees do you have? <clears throat> I, have I have two apple trees. They are pink lady apple trees. And I must be a story. there. Oh, yes. I chose I love well, they're so good. They're the best apple on the planet. That's Mm -hmm. number one. Mm -hmm. But uh, but the other thing is uh, pink lady apple trees only need 40 hours of chilling time, meaning that you don't need a lot of time below freezing for them to be able to, you know, Mm provide provide fruit for you. The other thing is that they are uh, originating out of a cross with an apple from Australia. So they're relatively drought tolerant once you get them established. And, and if so, if you plant a dwarf pink lady and you get it established after that first year or two, you have something that can actually deal with drought. Uh, it's going to provide you with a great apple. And even if we do have our climate changing to be a little bit warmer, this only needs a very short amount of time with a chilling time for it to be able to provide you with apples. So when I did my research on picking my trees, part of it was what tastes good, mm-hmm. <laughs> what do I like, but also is what was going to really work out for the lifetime of me being in that house. What was a good choice of a tree to put in? And other trees yeah so in the in the front yard my I have two I just have those two trees I do have blueberries that I planted oh yeah tell us and actually I'm going to completely blank on the name however I will tell you that at Annie's Annuals in Richmond they do have drought tolerant blueberry bushes that you can buy and for you folks out there Annie's Annuals if you can't get to Richmond they do have a mail order yeah. business, and they do a very good job in packing. Of course, it's going to cost you a bit more, but if you're looking for something specific, as Nancy has described to you, this is a good resource, mm-hmm. particularly the mail order. They're very, very thorough in mm-hmm. this, and you will not be disappointed. No, not, not at all. I, so so in my yard, the other thing I have that are, are food-related in the front yard are I do have blackberries and raspberries planted, right. and then b- blueberries are also planted as an underbrush to some of my plants mm-hmm. because blueberries, they... Blueberries um, have very shallow root systems, and so you want them to have enough water, you know, moisture that they're going to be happy. They also, they like sun, but they also like shade. Mm -hmm. And back where I grew up in New Jersey, um, we would go out blueberry picking in the state forests, and Mm -hmm. this was under uh, big tree canopies. So I know blueberries do just fine underneath, you know, bigger bushes and trees good information yeah and the other thing is that when other things are uh, when other plants are dropping leaves blueberries will keep them and they turn color so they go from green to red so in the fall you also get that color shift yeah you get green plants with white white flowers you know in the spring then you get the berries and then they shift and they turn color so if you plant them under trees or other things where they're going to drop the leaves then Mm -hmm. in the winter you get the nice red color and I think um, for you folks out there, you can go on the website of Annie's Annuals and they will describe blueberries to you as well as blackberries and raspberries. Mm-hmm. So you have every option to learn. And speaking of learning, mm-hmm. um, I do want to mention that Nancy is a professor. You've probably heard the word research. Oh. Mm-hmm. And Nancy is quite a researcher. She takes from what I can see, a very holistic approach to her garden in terms of researching what the soil is, what the water conditions are, and what is appropriate for a thicket inviting birds, bees, and many, many bees, and hummingbirds, and then butterflies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And now we have the back garden that you also have fruit trees More fruit trees, yeah. Mm -hmm. Could you share with us those? Those, So in the back garden, I have Meyer lemon, Uh and I also have Fuyu persimmon, Uh and I have a Blenheim apricot, Uh 
and I have hazelnut trees. Oh, I have. Why hazelnut? That's an unusual choice. Hazelnuts are one of the most broadly distributed nut trees in the entire United States. (laughs) Um, They can grow almost anywhere. Okay. Um, You do need you do need sort of two. One has to they have to pollinate you know each other. Male female. Yeah. And so what I did is I got one that I'm letting grow up to give me its hazelnuts, and then the other one I have pruned down as a bush. Mm-hmm. So that, if, so it can pollinate the other one, yeah. but I won't have two trees competing for space. Right. And and I was just going to say, you know, back back to I always I kind of like the gardening stuff to be down to earth. I am a researcher, but I make mistakes. I've killed plants. It's horrible. We we have a support our, our garden club. We joke sometimes that we're also a support group. Like, oh my gosh, I bought these plants. Oh, we call it murder by affection. <laughs> yeah. yeah, too <laughs> yes. much too much water. Too much or love. Whatever you know. Too much love. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that I like to encourage that just because I, like, with birding, some of the birders that I know, they're great, but they're bird nerds. Like, they know stuff that no human should know about birds. And yeah. with, with gardening, I feel like it should be easier. And I want I like to encourage people to, to normalize mistakes, that mistakes are normal. You know, go talk to another gardener. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll help you figure out what happened and don't give up. And start small, you know, one plant at a time. Learn that plant, you know. Don't take on twenty-five plants at a time. You know, it's like taking on twenty-five relationships at a time. You get twenty-five different plants. How nice. can how yeah. can you meet twenty-five people and get to know them all well, right? But right. if you start with your tomato or your lettuce or your mint plant or whatever it is, you get to know them, and then after you get to know them and you have a relationship, then you can maybe add another friend uh-huh. in you. Yeah. But but it's a gradual process. And, Big community. Uh, yeah, yeah. What, when you you mentioned an action that did not end well for the plant, could you share with oh. us what, yeah, I know there are too many to name, but you are a very good gardener. I know that. Oh, yeah. So could you just share with we, the public? I, I could tell you. I could tell, tell you. Tell us, tell us one or two stories it's, that surprised you. Again, well, y- you have some lovely fuchsia in your front yard, yes. and, and I love them. They yeah. are absolutely spectacular, but I just don't have the right attention span for fuchsia. I mean, I I, I haven't, I, I maybe I'll re- rephrase this, I haven't found the right fuchsia for me okay. yet. <laughs> Is that a color or a form? Oh, or It's the type of plant. I think I need to find a hardier fuchsia fuchsia that doesn't require as much attention for water. I don't have the type of microclimate that you have in your yard. Mm-hmm. Mine can get a little hotter and there were places where I thought they might do okay under the shade of a tree, but not enough. And so I and I hate to kill a plant. <laughs> so you know. fuchsias have a mite issue that for you out there in the world listening to this if your fuchsia does not say that it is mite resistant, do not buy it uh-huh. because it will most certainly crinkle up, look pretty bad, and probably succumb mm. to life. What's what's kind of funny about fuchsia, though, is so when I was a teenager, mm-hmm. I grew up in New Jersey, right. and I worked at a farm market and nursery all through high school, like in the summers and in, on weekends, you know. Is that ma- where you started this passion? So, well, the gardening really started with grandma and planting, oh my gosh, not chrysanthemums, the other orange ones. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm going to forget uh, that have the little orange seed packets that you come up. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. They'll come to me. Where is your grandmother? Well, she's from she's she's from Poland originally, but oh. it's the one it's the orange one that a lot of like with Indian ceremonies they'll make the archways. Oh, this is such a common flower. I can't believe I'm going to forget it. But see, this happens to even me. So if it happens to you, don't worry about it. <laughs> we forget the names. Anyway, my grandmother used to always plant her tomato plants, and then she would plant these little orange flowers around them. Marigolds. Marigolds. That's the one I couldn't yeah. remember. And so I always used to help, I I helped her plant her marigolds in her backyard. And it was just so fun to plant them and watch them grow and learn about how they helped keep the bugs off the tomato plants, you know. Did uh, she bring this knowledge from Poland? I don't know. I don't know where she got it from, but it was a companion planting. You know, it was learning about how plants interact. Well, the reason I knew marigold, because there are many oranges, Mm. 
is as soon as you said tomato, uh, then I knew mm -hmm. it was a marigold because yeah. that that is a relationship of beneficial relationship yeah, planted yeah. together. Yeah. So so my grandmother used to do that, and I would help her. And then my my other grandmother and my grandfather they had fruit trees in the backyard. So mm -hmm. I always thought, wow, it's you like fruit, you get fruit, you grow this and you get this great fruit. That was fantastic. And my, both my, my mother loved peonies and uh, liked to, to grow her plants. But my father was an, he's an off the chart gardener. I mean, he's off the chart. We had, mm -hmm. we had a farm, a five acre farm, and we had like about an acre of fruit trees and an acre of berry beds and another this acre. This is in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. A full. The garden state. Oh yes, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, most people think of the turnpike, but you know, there's actually no, no, it's the garden uh, state. <laughs> Truck yeah. farms, it's yeah. a wonderful state. Yeah. So so for me, I grew up not only with my father being a amazing gardener, yeah. but then also working in a farm market and nursery as a as a teenager, you mm -hmm. know. So you just you, you pick up a lot of stuff, you know. And was this a roadside uh, Yeah. Yeah. Venue? Yes, it was a roadside venue that actually had been there for decades. It's still there, and we'd sell everything. So, you know. Any name to this place? Culver Lake Nursery and Market. Yeah. Culver Lake Nursery yeah. and Market. So, those of you going to New Jersey, yeah, yeah. stop by. Yeah, they pro if and the old timers would probably know me with my ponytails behind the counter, you know, serving up whatever we had. One summer, I took care of 6,000 rose bushes. Um, wow. Yeah, different kinds of roses, watering them and pulling off the leaves and everything. Were they and cutting them there? Or they were, no, they selling, were selling, they were selling, selling the them, plants. but you have to kind of keep them alive for that whole growing season. It's and, hot. Yeah. And so, so that was a project, you know, during apple season, you'd, you'd learn about all the different kind of apples because we'd get 10, 20 different varieties in, you know, so it was an opportunity to be exposed to that. Mm -hmm. And then the other piece is, just being aware of nature growing up in New Jersey, like you learn certain things like what happens when you have a herd of deer come through your yard and squash all your berry plants, you know, do, are they dead? Do you have to pull them out? What does happen? Well, they stomp them, you know, mm -hmm. they stomp them and they break them and then parts of them go into the ground. And the amazing thing about plants is that they survive right. <laughs> somehow. Right. So, so you, you learn that like there are, there are tricks that, fancy schmancy gardeners will tell you about oh yeah you can grow an extra plant if you break the branch and stick it in the ground and another root system will come but if you're observant that's what happens when deer step on your berry plants you know so of you can read it in a gardening so deer book. are fancy schmancy gardeners they they kind of are yeah, yeah i mean yeah. And that's the thing. You have to remember plants are alive and they're trying yeah. to survive just like us. Yeah. So stuff happens and you think, well, what could We've happen? We've got to love them. I can see this. Yeah. We've got to change our attitude. Yeah. What this. can happen? And the plant figures out a way to survive these things that go mm -hmm. wrong, you know? Mm -hmm. So, but, but there are little gardening tricks that you can pick up like that. So just from being around it, there's a lot of stuff. Tell me some other tricks. I learned. Oh gosh. My stepmother used to like to take hard-boiled eggs, and she planted those underneath her tomatoes. Oh, because full egg, with the shell on? With the shell, because of the calcium and the sulfur. Oh, how interesting. And, and if you're growing up on a farm and you got a lot of eggs... Yeah, that's, put them under the tomatoes. Yeah, that's another that's another way to, to, to take this care of it. This is wonderful. Yeah, there's all sorts of little folky stuff that you pick up that way. So Any other tidbits? I'm, this is Let's very see. new to me. Well, okay, here's another one. And I like to do this one for holiday gifts. So your roses are starting to, you know, be done with their bloom. Yes. And, you know, is it over? It's not over. You can You can do a prune. And then you can lay them on screens or hang them upside down and you have the petals. And guess what? If you want to make potpourri gifts for people during the year, you know, you can take the leaves and you can take the petals and you can make something out of it. So it's never over. It's never over. And, and then there's always composting. You know, when the plants are done, you don't have to throw it in the green bin. That's your compost. You can put yep. it in a compost pile. There are these little things that you can pick up. And again, a lot of gardeners will 
we do this stuff, we learn it over time. And then for folks who are new coming in, they're, oh, wow, I didn't know you could do that. And it's YouTube now. Yeah. Which has got its merits. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we have a lot of hacks, as they say. You know, uh, I just did air quotes around hacks. But yeah. uh, gardeners have a lot of hacks. And it what makes does that mean, gardeners? Short, shortcuts, you know. Oh, shortcuts. Or shortcuts are like I little yeah. tips that maybe people wouldn't understand that that would be a helpful thing. Yeah. Well, I think it's practice. Gardening is, is practice. You have to get out, as you said, you have to kind of go out and actually do it. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and not being afraid to make mistakes, because that's just part of it. You you figure it out over time. and But that that's where I come back to that idea of don't, I see sometimes people go to a gardening store and they're new gardeners and they buy 20 different kind of plants. And if you think about that, you're really having to learn what do those 20 different type of plants like for sun, for for heat, for water, for food. That's a lot to learn all at once. And so if you just can sometimes take one at a time, like like you're cultivating a relationship, like you mm -hmm. might with a person. Have an intimate conversation with one plant. Yeah, and get to know the plant, yeah. you know, or get like that. You could, you know, if you're going to buy 20 plants, maybe, maybe buy two types of peppers. Just get to know those two types. And some of them are so going to survive, mm -hmm. but, but there's a way to do it where you're not going to overwhelm yourself. And I think sometimes people think they're not good at gardening because they had a lot of enthusiasm at the beginning and maybe took on a little more than anybody could really do well. I really yeah. like to encourage people to think that anybody can do gardening. And, and sometimes it's just that you're really good at one type of plant and you might not be good at every type of plant. And that's okay because there's going to be other people who are great at some other type of plant and you can swap there's always that nice phrase right plant right place oh yeah mm -hmm. and i think sometimes you go to get a dress and you're looking at a 12 when really you should be buying a 14 right and so <laughs> yep. you kind of gotta get the right plant for the mm -hmm. right place absolutely you know? and understanding how a plant survives and if it says sun it means sun mm -hmm. it doesn't mean shade mm -hmm. and understanding where your shade is mm -hmm. yeah where is your garden which way does it face your front garden well my front garden faces east i see and my back garden faces west yeah so were there many decisions made on those two angles? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, you know, the thing, the thing that I did, and maybe this isn't right, but that's how I did it, was I decided what was my purpose first. Mm -hmm. You know, I really liked, with my yard, I like to have a purpose. And, and I decided I wanted to make sure, I'm in Northern California, I can grow stuff here. Mm -hmm. uh, so I wanted to make sure I was going to grow some things that I always wanted to have in my yard. So there were some ornamental roses that like when I did my 6,000 rose bushes when I was a teenager, I was like, I like that rose. I want to make sure I have a rose like that what in my yard. What rose is that? It's called Sterling Silver, which... Oh, it's a beautiful rose. I know that rose. It's very, it's a lavender kind of a rose oh, and it smells like raspberries. I love stunning it. Stunning rose. Yeah. Stunning. So, so the first thing I bought was I went out and found myself a sterling silver rose to put in. But as I was looking at it, trying to figure out what to do, my yard was all grass and it had, oh gosh, it had a photinia plant in front mm -hmm. of my house, which photinia, if you ever need a plant to just take up a lot of space really quick, buy a photinia plant. Cause these things will be as big as a Volkswagen in a year. And <laughs> They'll cover, if you have a neighbor you don't want to see in your yard, just put a photinia in. It'll be 12 feet high in a year and a half. It does have nice color leaves. It has sort of red and green. I, I have noticed that many shopping centers have photinia. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're they're almost indestructible, and they grow big, and yeah. you can prune them, and they come back. They're warriors. Yeah. So when I got to my, when I got my house, it was all lawn, and there were a couple of sort of foundational bushes there. And then there were these photinia, and they were gigantic. And there were also camellias that had been in there forever. And I kept the camellias because they provide shade on one part of my house. But I knew and right... And flowers. Oh, yeah, and the flowers, which are beautiful. But I knew I wanted to put in food plants and fruit trees, and I wanted to plant for birds. That was really important to me. And I love butterflies, and so I want to make sure I could get butterflies. And I like a scent garden. I like to have smelly flowers. So when I was thinking about it, I thought, okay, what do I want my yard to look like? 
And I knew the front yard was going to be the pretty side because that's what other people are going to see. I don't want it to look really awful. <laughs> and the backyard, I thought I can be more practical with that and put in stuff that I would like to eat or, like I said, for my chickens, what I'm going to grow for them and how I want to use my backyard. But what I did is I literally drew a picture of my house and then put the color in for the house. There's lots of programs online now where you can take a photo of your house and stick oh, it really? online and, yeah, play with it and drop stuff in. And, oh, yeah. and how wonderful. Yeah. They have them for, like, if you're trying to pick a color for your house to paint it. Yes. And so I got, I sort of found one of those on the Internet and got that. And then what I did is I started just drawing in what I wanted it to look like. I wanted to frame it a certain way. Mm -hmm. And that's how I decided where to put certain color plants because I knew I wanted to see a certain color palette. What color is the front of your house? My house is a very, very, well, it's called Twilight. Yes. <laughs> and so it's a very, very pale, pale, fine lavender. Sterling rose. Yeah. We're getting, we're, yeah. we're Coming we've back. got a theme here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A little bit of a tinge of blue uh, with a brown brown trim on it. In fact, actually, part of how I picked, and this is a, I think this is a pretty good trick, nature's really good at coming up with color palettes. Yes. If you do like a flower or a plant of some sort and you're trying to figure out what you want to do in your house or whatever, look at the plant. You can often find complementary colors that work together in a plant or a flower. And if you go, wow, I really like my my walls on my house to look like this. If you want to find something for the gutters or something else, look at the other colors in that plant. It's, you, you sometimes, I, I think you really can't go wrong. Cause, you know, you're, <clears throat> you're onto something here. Joseph Albers, who taught color at mm. Yale, and he has a wonderful book on color and there are squares of color and complementary colors and dissonant colors. But on that spectrum, if you have a purple, then you put a yellow in. It's mm. like flower arranging. Mm. You know, good arrangers know that, like today, we're looking at that beautiful, yeah. bit of lovely yellow golden rose with a bright purple dahlia, you mm -hmm. know, violet, mm -hmm. and and it's and they they they're wonderful together. Mm -hmm. And that marriage of color, I think, really is. Is an art form, mm -hmm. which yep. you have done. You you shared a name with me of a grevillea that was just stunning. Oh, yeah, yeah. What, what was is uh, that grevillea? Grevillea or grevillea uh, pink casitas? Yeah. I actually I found that one. You know, the county here for many many years, uh, Vallejo Solano and, the, county, and, the, yeah. and Solano County, they have done what they called water wise workshops. The, the city of Vallejo, the number of groups would collaborate. And the water-wise workshops that usually have been, you know, COVID's turned stuff upside down, but we'd usually have them in the spring, March or April. And they would uh, focus on inviting in people for free to come in to learn about how to put in watering system, like a drip irrigation, uh, how to select plants, you know, how to, how to take care of plants. And, uh, and as part of the educational experience, They'd also have freebies, giveaways. So sometimes they'd give away a, wa a hose bib or they'd give away a pair of uh, pruners. This is great. Oh, yeah. And they, and so. Is this free? They would do this for free. Oh, yeah. I, again, probably post COVID, things will kind of come back up. But one of the things that happened is they had one night where it was plant selection. And when you come in the door, they would sort of. Get a, you get a door prize with a ticket. Mm -hmm. Well, you everybody goes in turn. They pull your number, and you get to go and pick from what's left. And they had fantastic drought-tolerant plants. I like to use my, my yard is all drought-tolerant and California native plants. And one of the plants that was there was this Grevillea pink casitas. It was, I went, wow, look at this. This is fantastic. Pink casitas. Casitas, like little pink houses. houses. Yeah. Just, that's a fabulous plant. Let, let me ask a question about drought tolerant. Mm -hmm. I, I I hear this word and, and, and we all say it. What does this mean to you? Well, it doesn't mean indestructible. Yes. <laughs> it okay. doesn't mean it doesn't need any water. Typically, drought tolerant means that once the plant is established, it can get by with just the naturally occurring rains. That is once it is established, meaning that it has a fully developed root system, that it's a mature plant. So, so that could be a year. It could be a year yeah. and sometimes even two. 
that you have to kind of keep an eye eye on it and and water it initially, uh, but that after that it's it's basically can survive on the rain or the moisture that comes in you know in that area. So that's that's a very helpful uh, explanation because so I think many folks when they're purchasing a plant, think that, especially in the cactus and agave group, mm. that you're just going to put it in and walk away. And that's not okay. No, right? no. Yeah, you have, there's, I mean, granted, those are plants you can also overwater, but there is a, a point where you have to get them established. And, and that's where I think the other thing to pay attention to is what kind of soil do you have? Is the soil a good match for the plant? You know, it's, it's water, it's how much light it's getting, mm -hmm. and then also how's the soil. Because, like, we have a lot of clay here in Vallejo, and when you put a lot of water into clay, it can hold that water quite a long time. Mm -hmm. Some plants might not like that. An, an agave or a, a succulent might like a little more drainage. Um, so, so, folks, clay means that all your particles are really small. And your the particles are very, very tiny, which means the water comes in and it all squeezes together. Mm -hmm. You go from clay to sand, and that's your spectrum. And mm -hmm. some people have sandy soil, but that's not really a type of soil we see here mm -hmm. in, in our areas mm -hmm. in Northern California. We do, we do see loam, mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. a lighter type of soil and that will be in your bottom sheds that will be if you uh, have a garden in a low-lying area not on a hill mm -hmm. you will rarely mm -hmm. see it on a hill yeah, you even have to take into consideration wind because that can dry out the plant oh, good point. you know yeah. and the soil yeah. too yeah. yeah yeah that's that's where i think probably the biggest thing people can pay attention to is where am i trying to put a plant you can probably find a plant of the color and how tall and how large you want it to be. But the first thing is to really look at that space. And so like if you're going to go to the garden center, say, I'm looking for a plant that's going to be about two by three that can take shade, <laughs> mm -hmm. that doesn't want too much water and gives me a white flower. What do you got? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and, and they can help you find that. In fact, actually, one of the nice things about um, Audubon with this whole idea of planting for birds is with Napa Solano Audubon, we actually have a plant finder, a program on our website where, where you can go in and literally put that right in. I want something this color, this big, this type of water that That's attracts. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And is that just a Audubon, www Audubon? Uh, uh, well, this one is uh, Napa Solano Audubon uh -huh. dot org. Oh, and you can actually plant great. for birds. Even if you go to the National Audubon site, they also have plant for birds there as mm -hmm. well. That's mm -hmm. Audubon, A-U-D-U-B-O-N dot O-R-G. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's great because then if you, you, you know you want a white plant, you know you got shade, you know how big you want it to get, it'll tell you what you need. And that way you can plant something that's going to work for you, but also for the birds. I, I think these resources are excellent for us. They're free. Mm-hmm and they're well-referenced, mm -hmm. and they have good information for our areas. Ab absolutely, and and it's a moving target. We're always learning new stuff, mm -hmm. and with some of these sheets, like with our Napa Solano Audubon one, Google helped pay for getting that going. They, oh, they helped really? them do a little Google sheet so that it was a searchable database, and so the tech companies, they're, they're, you know, everybody's all working together trying to do something better because we're mm -hmm. all interested in helping birds and bees and butterflies and having nice yards and food and stuff. So, so it's a moving target. And I think that's the other hidden benefit is when you're trying to do this stuff by yourself, you can be like, oh, I killed the plant I bought. I spent $5 on this plant and it died. Don't stay alone with it. Go to your garden club, call your master gardeners, join a club like Audubon, join a club like this. You're going to meet other people who are trying to do the same stuff. And that's where you also connect back into community. And really, that's how we've always gardened. Does every city have a garden club? Oh, no. Not every city, but many do. Between here and Sacramento, we our garden club belongs to what's called the Sacramento River Valley District. Depending on the year, there's anywhere from, say, 13 to 20 clubs in there. So, oh, really? Yeah. So Quite some, a few. Mm -hmm, so some cities have them, others don't. 
Benicia, for example, has uh, a flower arrangers group. The I think it's Shibui Flower Arrangers. There's a geranium club, I think, out near Fairfield. So there's there's different clubs. Very specific clubs in a way. Yeah. yeah. Well, and for, for ours, for California Garden Club, which is part of the National Garden Club, some of the garden clubs are really old. Like there's some that are 60, 80 years old, and they've been around since people moved into the area and started businesses like all that time ago to support the families there or if 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 wives were not working they were doing gardening civic. it's a it's a yeah. civic gesture yep. and engagement yep. and what i would tell you is the other thing is that there there is civic involvement and potential advocacy opportunities because the counties and the state have had programs where people can remove their lawns and they actually, they, they call them things like cash for grass. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, so like uh, Solano County and the state of California had things where they would pay you like a dollar per square foot of, gla- of grass you were going to get rid of, or $2 or $3 or $5. It, it varies depending on what the budget is. So, so like, for instance, when I remove my lawn, typically what they require is that you sign up you submit a plan, they approve your plan, they come out, you, you can't have everything be dead already, you know, but they'll come out and they'll approve your plan and then they come out and inspect afterwards and then they write a check for you, you know, for however many square foot of, uh, of uh, grass you've removed because grass takes so much water, mm-hmm. you know, and if you're going to put in something that's more drought tolerant, more California native, that's also going to save our, our water budgets for, for our cities. So that's another nice benefit for for people who live here. And this is the county you would go to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the county, yeah. So like if you looked at like Solano Water, uh, Mm -hmm. Solano Water, you'll find they have a whole section on there about drought-tolerant plants and and some of these programs. They also have like rebates too for people who are trying to save like getting a washing machine that is water efficient. And then, you know, just in terms of water saving too, I'll mention uh, Sustainable Solano is another great organization in the area. Uh, They they do drought-tolerant like workshops on how to set up Gray Water, How to Plan Gardens. Uh, they're also another nonprofit that I've run across and work with. So lots of lots of opportunities if people want to make changes. And you don't always have to be, you know, like if you if you make your plan, you know, you go to your garden club, you get some help putting your plan together, you put your plan into the county, mm-hmm. they approve it. If you plan it right, then you can also get free plants that, you know, from some of these gardeners, from your friends. You Go, go to the Vallejo Garden uh, Garden Tour, buy some low-cost plants, yeah. and pretty soon, you know, you're not even having to spend a lot of money to do it. We like to say cheap and cheerful. Well, yeah, you know. It's, it's, a, it's a good motto. Yeah. Uh, and it's, but it's also cheap, cheerful, and community. Yeah. And the community is, is assisting. A little bit about uh, the Vallejo Garden Club. Is this a club that is restricted to certain people, or how, how do you join this club? So Vallejo Garden Club, we're on Facebook, and if anybody writes in to us on Facebook and they go, we want to learn more about you, they'll get they'll be sending an email to me. Okay. <laughs> I think uh, I have a phone number on there as well. You they'll, do. Mm-hmm. Yes. They'll call me, and we can, we'll send them some introductory information. And an application, we usually have people spend, it's $20 for a year. We don't prorate it because you get way more than $20 benefit mm-hmm. <laughs> from it, even if you join halfway through. Uh, we we also, though, do a lot of free talks all through the year. During COVID, we did a lot of things online on Zoom. Mm-hmm. And then we're starting to branch out again, you know, to have some meetings in person. This, uh, this Thursday, as an example, we do dinners out. Uh, we'll have a dinner out where members are invited, but also prospective members are invited to come. A lot of pink ladies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and we, you know, we, it's, we have men, we have women, we have people of all different backgrounds. Yeah. It's really quite a mix. But, but some months what we'll do, if we don't have a speaker or like in the summer when people are on vacation, we'll go have dinner and talk plants. Or in the winter, we might have a garden planning session, but we invite people to come in and do talks and we let our talks be free. But membership, we have a special members uh, only mailing list. Mm -hmm. We have a public one that's announcements, but with the private one, that way it's more problem solving, it's more sharing. Uh, We also do some member only events. Do you do garden tours like of 
uh, nurseries and things like that. Yeah, like so. Last month we did we did one. We went out to Annie's annuals, oh, and right. that was nice. They gave us a private tour. And they also gave us an extra discount, which was really nice oh, for our great. club members who went. But we do tours. We'll do sometimes garden shows. We do some volunteering where we might help, you know, prune roses someplace or, mm-hmm. you know, plant Is plants. that a person's private garden or is it going to be a public garden? Could be, could Both. be either. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, like if a member, if somebody's hurt or something... You, you know, sometimes people might say, oh, I really need help. Does anybody have anybody? And people might be, well, I'll come. You know, oh, I'll do it. That's lovely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'll, here's an, a silly story, too. Like, uh, I was uh, sick uh, last month, and one day there's a ring, my bell rings, and two garden club members are standing in my yard. One has a, one, one has a shovel over their shoulder. The other one had a pick, and they're like, what do you want us to do? You know, you're sick. We're here to help, you know? And I was like, wow. You know, Send how, them to my house. Yes. <laughs> how great is great. that? You know, that's great. I was yeah. so touched. You know, that was yeah. really nice. So, so people chip in, but then sometimes there's volunteer work too, and uh, we do a lot of sheet mulching and pruning. And you have a calendar, right? Yeah. So we so we post our events on Facebook, and then with our mailing lists, usually what we do is for the announcements only list, which mm-hmm. anybody can join for nothing for free. Um, we usually send maybe maybe two or three announcements of both our events and then any other garden uh, group events in the area. And then with our members only, we, we send it out to them as well. But then there's private members only things like we might meet at somebody's house. So that's why we don't want just strangers showing up. Cause, right. You know. And then on Facebook, we also put the we put information. And sometimes if our speaker's willing, we'll we'll record the presentations so people mm-hmm. can also check them out. Yeah. It's fun. It's a great group of people. It's a lively group. Has it been in existence a while? I want to say we're, well, it was, we've been in existence probably since the early 2000s, but then we became an official chapter of California Garden Club, uh, I think in about 2011. So we're about 11 years old now, and mm-hmm. which is pretty good. Is this a national club or something? Like so, so there's the National Garden Club Incorporated. Okay. There's California Garden Club Incorporated, which is the state level, and then we're a county level or city level club. So we're a 501c3, mm-hmm. and we're under the umbrella of California Garden Clubs Incorporated. But it's all pretty much all volunteers, you know, all the way through. So if you go to another city, say you go to New Jersey, yep, your yep. home state, yep, can you? visit these other garden clubs? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just you go to the National Garden Club or uh-huh. you put in Ohio or New Jersey Garden Club. Yeah. And there's probably going to be a website that pops up and then you'll be able to see what cities or what counties have yeah, have clubs. And this they'll This would be a great way to visit the United States. Oh, yeah. Garden clubs. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah. That yeah. sounds terrific. And you're meeting other gardeners and that's a lot of fun cuz we have gardeners I don't know. I think there's sort of a type of like people who are gardeners. They like community. They like sharing. They like they like mm-hmm. to help people learn mm-hmm. how to do this stuff. They're mm-hmm. interested in plants. Yeah, it's a it is it's a, it's another way to sort of meet people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that have a real vestiture in their communities. Mm-hmm. Know a lot about the history of their communities. Know what's happening now and probably what's going to happen in the future. We, they see though they're paying attention to what's happening to the land, you know. Yeah. So, and what I would say too is I like to kind of call our club kind of a starter club, <laughs> meaning that there are also specialty gardening clubs. So, for instance, like we have North Bay Rose Society. Oh. Okay. Um, people focus just on roses, or uh, we have a couple of members who have been involved in the National Fuchsia Society, and there are local chapters that might focus just on a particular plant or like with the flower arrangers. So there's people, some different clubs might do specific different things. Yeah. Sort of subspecialties mm-hmm. that people can focus on mm-hmm. their passion. I would think cactus, succulents, Cam- kind of things. Came- yeah. Camellias is Camellias. another example. Oh, yeah. yeah. Camellia, I think there's a camellia society or su- succulents for sure. Native plant societies. Yeah. yeah. Like we have a great native plant society in the area, the Jepson uh, Native Plant Society. They do, they also, J-E-P-S-O-N, they do, they do plant sales mm-hmm. too of all native plants. 
Nancy, as we wrap up this wonderful visit we are having together in the Garden of Life, Mm -hmm. what advice do you have to uh, the folks who are listening Mm -hmm. in terms of gardens? I'll tell you from, from my investment in the club here in town, you know, one of the reasons why I, I mean, I'm, I'm actually pretty busy, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but one of the reasons why I've chosen to put my time into Vallejo Garden Club is because it is a community building mechanism. Mm-hmm. I came here to Vallejo and really liked the place. It's a nice place to live. And I care about the place. Mm-hmm. I care about the land. I came to Northern California because I love the land here. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways I find that people can really connect to the place where they live is to sort of literally dig in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we think about digging into the community, but also if you say, wow, I'm here and I can dig into my property and I can have its serve purposes in my life, beauty, exercise, food cultivation, a way to socialize with people. It's a way to dig in and community build in a, in, in a way that maybe people don't always think about. So I've chosen to put my time into the club because it's also a way to help cultivate the local region, help people get connected to their property, get connected to each other, to the community, and then also share. I really enjoyed it. So one little bit of advice for somebody who's maybe just starting gardening is to realize that that's going to be a way to kind of connect further where you're living, not just the land, but the people, and that you have so many things you can get from working in your garden, whether it's exercise and relaxing, whether it's a little vitamin D from being out in the sun, that's good for your body, whether it's planting something that's going to provide you with food for your family or with something, a flower you can dry and give as a gift to a friend who might be sick. There's so many little things that you can get from it and give to it. Mm-hmm. And again, as I've said, there's so many people you can meet too. And I find everybody's probably good at one plant at least. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, so it's also nice to have that network when you're trying to maybe learn something new and uh, be able to connect with people and share what you know and learn what they know. It's a nice way to uh, uh, build a community for yourself and, and again, do good for yourself physically and emotionally. If you were immigrating mm. to another place, another country, and they allowed this, Hmm. what three plants would you take? Hmm. What three plants? Well, I'd absolutely have to take Gravia pink casitas because Gravia pink casitas, again, pink casitas, like little pink houses, Mm -hmm. it is my favorite plant on the planet. It's beautiful. The flowers are like protea, um, but they're lighter, and they're salmon and pink and red. Beautiful beautiful colors and the leaves are silvery green and it is blooming 11 months out of the year and the bees and the birds and the butterflies love this plant and it's easy to prune you can shear it to prune it I mean it is the perfect plant and it's drought tolerant I love this plant so that would definitely be there if I was on the island with uh, Tom Hanks and the little basketball Wilson to steal, you know, <laughs> I'd have pink gravia. I've got pink casitas gravia everywhere. I think I definitely have to have my pink lady apple tree. Absolutely. Just, I love them. They're great. And they're drought tolerant. It's the, I think it's the best apple. Edible. Yeah. Something edible. It's though. edible. Best apple on Back the planet. Back to paradise. You know? And it's, they smell so good. Yeah. You know, so the the, uh, the the Gravia pinkasitas looks beautiful. The apple tree looks beautiful, but also you can eat it. And I think I'd probably have to have blackberries because, and again, it's another edible and it's great for the birds. They like to eat them. I like to eat them. And if I'm going to have a plant like that, I'd like, I like a plant that gives back like that. We grow blackberries at our garden, Virgie Giles' garden, uh, and they're thornless. Mm. So... All of you out there who are kind of on the edge about the thorns, don't be on the edge. You won't get pricked yeah. with thornless. <laughs> and they're also thornless raspberries. So mm-hmm. Thornless blackberries are are great, and you probably would have to buy those through mail order. Yeah. Don't worry about that. They come in their little packages, and in they go. 
Mm-hmm. Or you get a really good pair of heavy gardening gloves and you're set. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. And what's your favorite color? Well, I really, I really have three. Okay. Um, I, I like, I like, Great, I you. like, I like green and purple and blue together. And it's a real tough, tough choice, but I think I like periwinkle the best. That's probably my favorite. It's a little bit, little bit between that purple and blue, a little more on the lavender side, but, but I love periwinkle. They do work well together. Mm-hmm. And there's of course the periwinkle plant. Mm-hmm. So that's, mm-hmm. those are three lovely colors together. So thank you, Nancy Petrovsky, and thank you for championing the Vallejo Garden Club Mm -hmm. and for creating a thicket for all our friends who are migrating through Mm -hmm. our community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for having me. Nice to chat with someone who wants to chat about gardens. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes. So if you have any questions, you folks out there, please send them in an email. And that will be to Topher at VirgieGilesFoundation.org. And uh, they will be answered. And Nancy will probably be answering them because this is her time and her platform. Mm -hmm. And we are honored to have you here. Thank you for coming. Thank you.